Welcome to our first episode of This is the Author in Conversation, a more intimate behind-the-mic chat with our authors in the audiobook studio. This is Jennifer Rubens from Penguin Random House Audio, and I'm thrilled to invite you into my conversation with Rachel Friedman, the author of And Then We Grew Up, on creativity, potential, and the imperfect art of adulthood. Publishers Weekly named it a best book of 2019, and in a starred review said, anyone who's ever looked back longingly at an old passion and wondered what might have been will find an empathetic friend in Friedman. I actually had the honor of narrating the audiobook, so listen in as Rachel and I discuss her book, our own creative paths, parenthood, and of course, why we love audiobooks. Enjoy. Hi, this is Jennifer Rubens, the narrator of the book, And Then We Grew Up, on creativity, potential, and the imperfect art of adulthood. And I'm so thrilled to be in the studio with the author, Rachel Friedman. Hi. Hi. I'm thrilled, too. I'm so excited to meet you for a few reasons. One, because I absolutely loved your book, and I'm so excited to talk to you about it. And I feel truly honored to be the narrator of your audiobook. Thank you so much. I feel so personally connected to everything that you wrote about, and I think you should be so proud of yourself for writing this book. So do you want to tell me first, before we ask each other a couple questions, why did you write this book? What inspired you to write it? Hmm. Yes. I wrote this book for the same reasons I write everything, which is to try and figure out some issue that is plaguing me personally or that seems to be in the water that people I know are talking about, something I'm trying to make sense of and feel that I need guidance and to go down a rabbit hole trying to figure out. And the issues I'm particularly stymied by seem to become books and the other ones articles. So this just took on a life of its own because I started asking people how they made an artistic life. And I just kept hearing all of these stories, not only from the people who ended up in the book itself, who are from Interlochen, but I was also hearing all these stories from my friends and family members. Everyone had this story of when I was little, I wanted to be X, and then I grew up and became Y. And I still have some feelings about that. And I'll just add that Interlochen, which everyone who reads and listens to your book will learn, if they don't already know, is a very prestigious arts camp and also school, right? Yeah, there's a summer camp and there's an academy that's high school aged. It's in northern Michigan. I have to say the first time I saw your book was in galley form. It was sitting on a shelf in my office because I am an actress. I've trained as an actress, but for the last many years of my life, I've been lucky enough to be in another kind of creative job Mm -hmm. where I work day to day. And full disclosure, it is at Penguin Random House Audio, and we are producing It works out perfectly It does. And so I came together. (laughs) But I saw your book on the shelf, and it caught my eye immediately, seeing the title and the subtitle especially. And I thought, I have to read this, and I don't know if this book is really going to depress me or make me feel... Like, this is exactly the book that I needed to read. And no surprise, because we're sitting here talking, it was exactly the book that I needed to read. And so I feel really thankful that I found it. And then even more thankful that I had the honor of narrating your audiobook, because I think that I haven't read a book quite like this before. And I completely relate to that, you know, not only 
yes, you grow up as a kid and think you're going to be X and then turn out being Y, but also some of the specific similarities. Like, I, too, went to arts camp, you and did. I'm sure I've <laughs> brought it up randomly in conversations, like, at work so many years later after I've been there. And I'm like, why are you talking about arts camp? But it it yeah. means so much to you. I went to a camp called Usedan. Okay, on Long where Island. is that? It's on Long Island. Okay. And I also went to a summer program once called Midsummer in Oxford, which is part of BADA, which is the British American Drama Academy. Right, of course. I have a lot of associations with what that means to spend your summer doing something completely committed to the arts and how that makes you feel and what a privilege that really is and how you wish as an adult, that you could feel that way all the time. Yeah, and that immersion. Gosh, like, when do we get that as an adult? You know, a whole summer of getting to (laughs) pursue something that you love. It's pretty unique. It is. And then I thought it was really brave of you to write about a lot of your feelings because, like you said, you've talked to so many people. So many people have feelings like this. I certainly did. And I think, you know, equating feelings of, you know, not becoming this and becoming that instead and associating it with words like failure Mm -hmm. is such a dangerous thing to do. And I think it's really brave to admit that you thought those things because I don't think that's an easy thing to do. Did you ever feel afraid about all of those feelings you were putting into the book? Yeah, but I also knew that it would be dishonest to exclude them. Mm -hmm. And I feel like We're in a cultural moment right now that is full of such, you know, like relentless positivity. You can achieve greatness anytime you put in your 10,000 hours and work hard and dream big. You're going to get what you want. And we all know intellectually as adults, it is far more complicated. But emotionally, we're getting that messaging constantly. And I think that it's really natural to feel like, oh, I must have failed if I didn't achieve this dream in exactly the way I envisioned it mm-hmm. as a kid. And of course, when we're a kid, we have no idea really what that dream is going to be like, even if we got it. You know, we have right. no idea how we would feel if we got it. We just we have no experience to base it on. But we have these feelings of disappointment that we have to kind of extricate from that childhood fantasy. And I'm glad it didn't depress you because when I've described this book to people, sometimes I do get a knee-jerk reaction of, oh, this is a book about mediocrity or being disappointed or giving up. And for me, you know, I don't think that a warm-hearted realism, let's put it that way, because I like that phrase, warm-hearted realism, Mm -hmm. is the opposite of optimism. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not, this book is not supposed to be cynical, but it's supposed to be empowering in that it lets you kind of really see the realities of your adult life and all of their messy, complicated, beautiful glory and walk into that life as opposed Mm -hmm. to holding on to something. I don't know how you've navigated being an actress. Obviously, you're getting to pursue that in part, you know, even through the work that you got to do on my book, which I'm so (laughs) grateful for. (laughs) But, you know, how, how do you feel about navigating, holding on to those dreams and still pursuing them while also being kind to yourself and knowing success is really complicated and it comes in many forms and it's often not linear and the arts are inherently unpredictable. Yeah. So I'd be interested to hear. Well, first of all, just going off what you said about, you know, you hoped people would find your book empowering. I did clearly because I read it. And like I said, I'm lucky enough to have another wonderful job that is creative in many ways, but isn't being a full-time actress. 
I felt empowered enough to feel like, you know what, even though I don't maybe define my job as an actress every day, I still am one and it's okay to audition for something as one and I don't have to be all or nothing or one or the other and you don't have to make all of your money all the time doing one thing. It's about integration, not failure or success. I really felt that deeply and I thought, you know, I don't have to define myself as one thing. I never have, but yet I think it's very easy to feel bad about it on certain days and Mm -hmm. like you didn't do something. But, you know, it's so funny. I remember I have a very distinct memory once when I was on a theater tour throughout the country and it was very grueling and I was proud of the work I was doing sometimes, but the lifestyle itself in that particular job was not ideal. And I remember my dad saying to me, but you have what you wanted. Your job right now mm-hmm. full time is being an actor. This is it. But it, it's more even complicated. When you get it, it is. And not every job is going to be the fantasy job. And that's real life no matter what you do. You know, you're coming at it not from an actor perspective, from a musician perspective and a writer. And I think it's so easy to get siloed in your own brain and think you only understand something because like, oh, you know, I'm an actor and I get how that kind of creative person feels. But Mm -hmm. it's all the same. Everybody feels creative in different things. And everybody can feel this way no matter what they do, I think. And it was so nice to really connect with your feelings about something, even though we're really coming from different experiences. But it all feels very similar. And I totally got it. And I think I appreciated it even more because you were coming at it from a different type of art. And I really enjoyed recognizing what a human commonality that is. Yeah, I think everyone who feels creative in their soul in some way has to figure out, you know, the place for that feeling in his or her life. And it is complicated by all of the grown-up responsibilities that pile on. (laughs) And we do have this sense that like, oh, if I don't do this full time, I somehow didn't make it. And One of the things that was really empowering for me was just reading the statistical realities Mm -hmm. of how many people are doing it full time versus cobbling together a living in different ways. And it's really rare to do it full time. And I also think if you're lucky enough, let's take being a writer, you know, if you're lucky enough to be someone who has like incredible commercial success, that often comes with having to put out a certain type of product as a writer. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're lucky enough that the book that came from your heart is also the book that hits at just the right cultural moment. Oprah picks it, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like it's a bestseller. And that, of course, happens. But these are outliers and mm-hmm. they're not great models because I wouldn't guess that even those writers knew that that book was going to hit in that way. They wrote the thing that they needed to write that was coming out of their soul, their gut, their heart, you know, whatever it is. So you have to make a choice at a certain point, I think, in terms of either having your income connected to your art or not. You know, Mm -hmm. do I want to work on only things that I'm passionate about? Do I want to do things that are going to bring me the kind of income I want? What is the balance of both of those things? And you only figure that out as you go. So the idea that, you know, it should perfectly map on to our vision of what we thought our life would look like when we were a kid. Like, as you said, going on tour, you were unhappy. That's Mm -hmm. An interesting thing to have to face. Oh, I got exactly what I wanted and I'm not quite happy about it. But then, of course, it. in the moment, it's not exactly what you wanted. I mean, the, the job title is right. But, you know, there right. are all these other things that you could say. And so you're always looking at the next thing. And it's funny because even in your book, you talk about how actors or people that we view as 
very successful, also had another person to look at. Oh, well, I'm not Julia Roberts, mm-hmm. so I'm not successful, you know, even though they are, you know, in whose definition. And I yeah. think, too, what's interesting now that I've learned as I've gotten older is that it's OK, like, you know, if you have another job that you didn't expect to have that you really love, mm-hmm. then that's great. You know, I, I spent a lot of time having jobs I didn't care about as my side gig because it was easier to walk away from if something else happened. You know, it was really wonderful and, and encouraging to read in a book. Not that I was necessarily doubting this. And of course, obviously, this interview is for my, you know, other life and right. other passion and other job. But it's really wonderful to recognize that and think, how lucky am I that I get to have a day job, quote unquote, that is more than that, that isn't just something that doesn't matter. And I think, you know, I'm not disparaging if someone does have a job that they could walk away from. If that works for you and makes you happy, that's great. It's all an individual equation. Yes. Right? And that's where I think we get into trouble when we tell people this is the formula for whatever way you Mm want to live your life. You know, this is the way to be an artist. This is, you know. Yeah. Because I feel like that's a message too, right? Take a day job that you don't care about so that you can pursue your art in your free time. And that's really, again, a kind of like binary Mm -hmm. proposition. And really sets people up to feel really bad about themselves in a lot Mm -hmm. of situations or suffer needlessly because they think it's what they have to do to be, as you put in capital letters, a real artist, you know? Right. Um, And I'm curious, because now you're a parent, yeah, and I'm a parent newly as well. Congratulations. uh, Thank you. You too. I mean, two and a half. Okay, yeah. I don't know. That's new. It feels new. You're sleeping now, which is the key. Newly. You're not in infant land. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Thank goodness. They still have their crazy nights. Uh, Absolutely. So I have a a two-and-a-half-year-old son. You also said you have a son. How old is your son? He's three-and-a-half. Oh, my gosh. So that was another thing when I read that you had a toddler son because I know this book kind of straddles two really different parts of your life, pre-child and post-child. How has that affected any of this book or hasn't it? Has it just affected sort of now when you look back on this book? It definitely affected the book. It was interesting because the timeline of the book precedes having a child, but I was pregnant and then a new parent as I was writing the book. Wow. Which was an amazing feat. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. Yeah. When people are like, it's like you birthed a second kid. I'm like, no, it is not. I used to think that that was an expression that that was appropriate before I had a kid. I'm like, having a book is like having a baby. And now that I've had a baby, I'm like, it is not accurate at all. (laughs) Two of a night for very different reasons. (laughs) Yeah. So I think in a lot of ways, it was wonderful to write this book in that state of early parenthood. Mm. In many ways, it was a horror show because, (laughs) you know, you're exhausted. It took me a lot longer to write the book. I mean, that's something I feel like I should be upfront about, too, as I'm writing a book about the complications of adulthood. You know, pregnancy will really throw a wrench in the works, you know, depending on how difficult your pregnancy is or not. And even if you have the easiest pregnancy ever, you know, becoming a new parent, it's hard for both mothers and fathers. But if you're breastfeeding as a mom, you know, I mean, the level of exhaustion can incapacitate you. And I had a lot of feelings at first about my productivity. I Mm. thought, 
parent leave was going to be like a writing vacation. <laughs> I was like, the baby will sleep. It'll just be so productive and artistic. Oh, and I'll just be glowing as a new mother. And like, it will just pour out of me. You, you were know? setting yourself um, up for failure again. <laughs> totally. So I really had to come around and be kind to myself yeah. in those moments and realize things were going to take a bit longer. But the thing that I think was really useful is that parenthood, as I'm sure you've potentially experienced, really implodes your identity and the amount of time you have to pursue what you love. I had at first a lot of fear about continuing to be a writer, about my identity as a writer. But that really settled over time into a kind of place, again, of renewed acceptance and integration. And so I was grappling in a very acute way, again, with my identity as a writer as I was writing the book. It was kind of like two stages, you know, talking to my friends, reaching out to them, starting the book, and then pregnancy again, a parenthood imploded all of that. And I think it gave me a really wonderful perspective on my adulthood, again, my life, and how we're never just one thing, Mm -hmm. how our artistic passions, our creativity, they ebb and flow. And it's always there for us. And, you know, I think that's something that people feel like, oh, I don't play my instrument anymore. Oh, I don't draw anymore. Oh, I don't act anymore. So I'm no longer an actor, a musician, right. an artist. And I actually think creativity is an in-your-soul kind of thing. And yeah. there are a lot of different ways to express it and to incorporate it and we put too much pressure on ourselves to do it in a way that produces a specific product. Right. But if we could open up a little bit more the definition of what being creative can look like in our everyday life, we would be a lot happier. You know, and it's easy, too, to give other people more credit than you give yourself because, of course, in your book, and I'm hopefully not giving anything away, but you have some examples of parenthood and what that means to yeah, people you knew as creative children and then how they parent in their lives. And you look lovingly or admiringly on other people. So it's so important to tell yourself to be kind to yourself because it's so yeah. easy to think everybody else is doing it right. And and you're the one who, you know, I think that's a very Nobody has common... it together. <laughs> everyone has it somewhat together. Nobody has it totally together. You know, like everyone is figuring it out. But it was yeah. really helpful to me to see women up close navigating creativity and parenthood. It made me feel like when I was going through it, I had some reassurance that that would all be okay. Yeah. And also some realistic understanding of the fact that it did change everything for them. Right. And I think, too, just timing-wise, like now having a two-and-a-half-year-old, that for me, the timing for me to read your book right now personally was just perfect because— I think now I'm starting to feel more like myself than I think I had in a while. And you are thinking about these big questions of who am I versus who is my child and what do I want to do in my spare time, whatever of that there is. And I definitely feel like I haven't given up other previous identities that I may not get to wear every day but are so part of what I am and what I can bring to other things, whatever I am spending the day doing. And I think that's really amazing, too. Like you being a writer or even having the soul and ear of a musician can lend itself in so many ways to so many things. Even if you're not playing your instrument that Mm -hmm. day, it's still a really incredible creative asset to so many jobs or even just being a person, having a conversation. And being a parent. I mean, as an actor, 
you must be a total delight to your kid. You know, you can. Like, I, I feel so. like sometimes I feel he tells like me toddlers are sing. full of I melody. <laughs> well, yeah, no, but wait till he gets a little bit older because my child now loves making up song lyrics, which mm, is one of my favorite so distraction techniques. Yeah. It's to, like make up a song about something we're doing, and so it's really fun to see the way it comes out in them. It isn't the same as working on your own thing. It's different. And parenthood is full of lots of tedious moments and moments that feel distinctly not creative. But there's a lot of creativity to infuse, I think, in everyday parenting, too. Absolutely. And it's a good reminder, too, which I think your book reminds us of, is that it's easier to think that children, I think, are more deserving of creativity in a lot of ways. It's not a gift we're allowed to give ourselves if it's not the job that's earning us money. And that's also a dangerous thing. I mean, of course, obviously, like, our kids' play is so important, but Mm -hmm. it's important for us to give ourselves that time to be creative, too, if we're lucky enough to. And I realize, you know, and as you address in your book, too, it's privileged to of course. sometimes be able to say, oh, I wish I could do this or that or, you know, have more time. But, you know, I think it's something people really need to hear a lot of the times. And so much of what we give to our children is also, I think, things that we also need ourselves. Who doesn't want to make up song lyrics and sit around yeah. singing? Sometimes if it makes you really happy, finding a few minutes of your day to do that is really important. Yeah, we all need permission mm-hmm. to be creative in some way. You know, I mean, I feel like culturally, it's like we're all seeking that permission. We're in a moment where we have, you know, adult coloring books mm-hmm. and summer camp for grownups. And <laughs> for me, all of that stuff is explicitly about I give you permission to tap into this kid self or this meditative creative self the self that wants to play yeah I think it's great that we have those things it's funny to me because even those things were like we're structuring you know right (laughs) coloring time but they're really useful in terms of granting permission to carve out that space and time for yourself. And yes, of course, as you mentioned, it is a complete privilege to be able to do that at all. But I hope that still makes it, you know, something worth talking about. Yeah. I mean, I found, and I've said this multiple times actually, but I just found so much comfort in reading other people's stories and connecting with your feelings and thoughts about something that is something I think about a lot. So I'm really excited for other people to read and listen to this book. Tell me, since I'm the narrator of your audiobook, do you listen to audiobooks? I do. And what kind of joy does listening to audiobooks bring you? Why do you like to listen? Well, I have a commute on a Mm. subway, which is the practical answer to that question. And I found that there's something really lovely about having someone's voice in your ear. I just listened to a friend of mine, Jason Green's book, and oh, then we yeah. saw Stars, yeah. which is a really you know compelling story, and it's a straight memoir. And so to hear him read it yeah. felt particularly moving. So, yeah, I think for both of those reasons, I'm a fan. That's wonderful. And I imagine you read a lot to your son. Have you shared any listening experiences together, or he's not at that <laughs> stage yet? 
He does know how to use Alexa now. Oh, no. So he will request (laughs) certain things from her. And actually, sometimes when I'm playing music and he's feeling cranky and he wants to punish me, he says, Alexa, play NPR. (gasps) He plays the news as though it's going to be like more stoic or something to hear the news. So So we need to introduce audiobooks. So at least he can play a book for himself. (laughs) So he's not at the stage of listening to books yet, but... He loves to read and he loves to hear live recitation, you know, like he's memorized things. He loves to read out loud like you'll see in another year. Their memories are unbelievable. And I'm sure as like an actress, again, (laughs) I just feel like I'm picturing these, you know, dramatic readings of (laughs) of the books. But yeah. But I think, too, it's such a great reminder, whether you're listening to audiobooks with your kid or just reading aloud, just the power of what that means. And you're already starting him off on this. Uh-oh, a creative so. path. Uh-oh. <laughs> I know. Well, what do you think? Would you, or do you feel like you're going to start your kid on a creative path if he's I mean, so inclined? I always felt, and, and this is, I think, the dangerous line we walk, that someone saying that you're creative was like the highest compliment always. Mm-hmm. But I think there's, you know, as you get older, could be a, a danger to that. But absolutely, I think, yes, I, I want him to explore and have all those fun creative experiences and I definitely play a lot of music and sing a lot of show tunes and yep. <laughs> all that stuff but Me like too. he did a twirl the other day and I was like oh my god he can dance oh I know my <laughs> child like, strums the guitar and I'm like we have a prodigy I people mean, call in <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah for sure and I was singing to him the other day and a friend of mine was over and she was like, you're like a Disney character. And Aww. I'm like, I know. It's like my greatest strength as a parent. Like, <laughs> and I think so that's a compliment. They meant I it. hope so. <laughs> I don't know. She said it kindly, but with a tiny eye roll, I felt. No. <laughs> but people spend a lot of money to take their kids to Disney World and Disneyland. So, you know, if you can that's just true. bring the magic Frozen, home. <laughs> I do an excellent Elsa. Oh, um, well, that is huge. Yeah. Well, is there anything else I didn't bring up about your book? an audiobook that you would love to say since we're having this conversation. What I really want to know is how you got into audiobooks. Oh, I pursued acting through a lot of my 20s and did some voiceover stuff here mm-hmm. and there and I also had other jobs. So I had I was doing marketing a little bit for a fashion designer and I was doing oh, I felt so guilty. I I was doing like test preparation stuff, which I know it's not kids' favorite thing to do, but they were such a nice company, and I was writing, like, closed reading passages and, oh. and doing proofreading and stuff like that, but then could leave and go do an acting job and come back. So I had an interesting, weird mix of publishing experience and marketing experience and acting, and I was like, oh, if I could one day put these things together. And a friend of mine had seen a job listing for an opening in the audio division at Random House, and it just ended up working out. And it really was a nice combination of me taking my different creative strengths, I think, and putting them into another place. So yes, that's how I found my way there. But I always listened to audiobooks as a kid. Like I was a huge audiobook listener as a child and had a whole like, God, it was cassette tapes, but it was like a whole like music stand that stored books in it. And cassette tapes like a box and you could lift the top take a book out and put it on the top of it like a music stand oh my god and then press play i'm picturing that just in all its 80s glory 80s 90s it was 80s and i've tried to find pictures of it for marketing purposes to do like a flashback friday thing and i cannot find proof of this 
thing that I had. It was I genius. You, Thank you. I <laughs> I feel validated. <laughs> One day I will find a picture of this device. And I feel but. like that's such a good example of, you know, we see our day job sometimes as compromises to our creativity. And in a lot of ways, they're the thing that enables us to continue to endure. Absolutely, That was a real mind shift for me, you know, to think about my own work. I'm a managing editor of two academic journals, which is very different from the creative writing that I do. In a lot of ways, it's a project management role. You know, it's kind of nagging people and checking stuff off a list. (laughs) And I read interesting demography articles, you know, um, of all things. But it really created this wonderful balance in my life and took a lot of the pressure of making ends meet every month (laughs) off of me in a way that I really value. And now I see it as, okay, I get to go and do this thing that's so straightforward. I don't have to think about it when I leave the office. And it's you're completely clear to do the work you want. And we think of when we're a full-time, you know, a quote-unquote full-time artist, writer, musician, whatever it is, oh, we're living our passion 24-7, you're really a small business owner. So a lot of times you're chasing down payments, you're worried about your financial stress. And, you know, those things too can be at odds with making art. So you have to find the way that I think clears up the most of your brain time for your art in whatever way that works for you. So yeah. it sounds like you you nailed it. Well, Congratulations. It like, well, you too, because you <laughs> do that and then also were able to create this wonderful book. So congratulations to you. Thank you. And it was such a pleasure to talk to you and to meet you. You too. I'm so glad that we were able to do this because I had been waiting to meet you in person. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> After I felt the same about you. hearing you read a couple of my pages. So I really... I'm so grateful that you connected with the book and that you took the time to do this. Oh, I really did. I actually, before I even knew I was going to narrate it, had told so many people about this book and how much I was loving it. That makes me so happy. It's true. Even just outside in the lobby today at this recording studio we're at, I hand-sold your book to two people. (laughs) They're like, what are you here for? And I'm like, this book, you've got to read it. The only person that officially beats you now is my father, who is going around Rochester (laughs) with postcards printed out of my book cover papering places everywhere he goes you know he's like i was in a men's bathroom today i left some postcards of your book i'm like that is i don't know that we're reaching the target market there well clearly i should take that idea back to my marketing team because that's something we haven't tried (laughs) he's really he's very innovative my father Um, he's already set up a reading for me in rochester he told me he said I want you to check the pre-orders because I want to know the geographic distribution because I have many people I have now committed to pre-ordering your book and I follow up with them to make sure that they've hit the button. (laughs) He's like, I should be paying him a cut of my income at this point. Possibly. but So I really appreciate you hand-selling the (laughs) book. Oh, it's my pleasure. And it was so, so nice to talk to you. And everybody should read or listen to And Then We Grew Up on Creativity, Potential, and the Imperfect Art of Adulthood by the lovely Rachel Friedman. Thank you so much. And now listen to a clip from the audiobook. This all started with taxes. I had taken the E-train out to the last stop in Queens and descended a few crumbling steps into my accountant's drab basement office. Every year, I seemed to interrupt him in the middle of lunch, no matter the hour of our appointment, and this visit was no exception. His right hand deftly directed chopsticks full of sesame chicken into his mouth, while his left tapped numbers into a computer. 
in a different life. The former musician part of my brain thought, he might have made a decent pianist. I had made barely enough money that year to cover rent and groceries, but I reasoned that barely was pretty good in Manhattan, an increasingly unaffordable borough for artists who once thrived there. I had taken on any and every freelance writing assignment, from churning out SEO clickbait for travel websites to reporting on heat-resistant makeup for a glossy women's food mag. I'd become a veritable pitching machine, developing into overdrive the minority report part of one's brain, capable of scanning every new person, place, and piece of news for a potential story angle. Nevertheless, when my accountant added up the numbers, I somehow owed way more money than was in my savings account, which was more of an aspirational idea than a place actual currency resided. $4,000, he said through a mouthful of Chinese food. $4,000? I gasped. This is the Author is a production of Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for listening. For more behind-the-mic content and audiobook recommendations, visit www.penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash next listen.